welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. It's March 2021, and this month we are celebrating St. Patrick's Day by focusing in on the records, strategies, and websites that can help you with your Irish genealogy research. My first guest will be author Clara Santry, and she'll be sharing her Irish research strategies from her new article. It's called Luck of the Irish, and it appears in the March 2021 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Then in our best websites for genealogy segment, we're going to turn our attention to a website that features lots of free Irish records. It's irishgenealogy.ie. In our DNA Deconstructed segment, Diane Southard's back to shed light on your ethnicity results. And then we're going to wrap things up over at the offices of Family Tree Magazine, where digital editor Courtney Henderson will be here with a tremendous free resource guide to Irish genealogy research, and it's available at FamilyTreeMagazine.com. But first, let's hear about the genealogy path that you've been on, and we will do that in Tree Talk. Well, here in our Tree Talk segment, I want to share with you a message that came in from Family Tree Magazine reader Robert Curry, who shares a bit of his own genealogy journey. He says, I've enjoyed an incredible journey researching my family. It began in the pre-internet days of the 1980s. Luckily, I was able to research my ancestors without any prior knowledge or help from a professional genealogist. My research has taken me across Canada and over the Atlantic to Scotland with my Curry ancestors and down to England with my paternal grandmother's fish ancestors. Since I began, I've been able to place ancestors at important moments in history. My Curry ancestor was a sailor in the British Navy in Yorktown, while my fish ancestor fought alongside Alexander Hamilton at Yorktown. In 1992, I formed a Curry Society, which has become a leading Scottish heritage organization. In 2017, the Currys chose me to be the commander of the names and arms of Curry. Much to my delight, the court of the Lord Lyon in Edinburgh reviewed their recommendation and made it official. It's not a rags to riches story in the conventional sense, but I've experienced a wealth of riches by finally understanding my 800-year-old Scottish family and the many people and places I've experienced along the way. It sounds like a wonderful journey, Robert. Thank you so much for writing in and sharing it with us. And if you'd like to share your story of discovery, you may just hear it here on the Family Tree Magazine podcast. Email me your story at familytree at yankeepub.com. Well, you may have heard the common lament that all Irish genealogy records were burned in a 1922 courthouse fire, making Irish research nearly impossible. Well, in today's episode, Claire Santry is coming to us from England to dispel that myth about Irish records and to uh, share some strategies for how to research your Irish ancestors. And these come from her wonderful new article called Luck of the Irish, which appears in the March 2021 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Welcome to the show, Claire. Hi there, Lisa. It's lovely to have you here. Let's just right off the bat explain where did the idea come from that that all this Irish research is impossible and that we've lost all the records? Well, it comes from a lot of truth, actually, because there really was a huge fire 
at the Public Record Office in Dublin in 1922, and it did indeed destroy an awful lot of genealogical records. But that doesn't leave it impossible because most of those that were uh, destroyed were involved the wealthy, who already probably have other records anyway that can be checked, and also a large proportion of the Church of Ireland records, the Protestant records. Now, of course, the Protestant population of Ireland was fairly small. So for the majority of those that, uh, especially those that emigrated, they can still find some records because they probably weren't in the fire. The only really big missing element is the censuses. Yes. So talk a little bit about the census, because I hear what you're saying about Yes, there were other large groups of records, but they actually affected smaller groups of people. Um, what did we lose in terms of the census? Well, all of the records before, all the 19th century census records were lost pretty much. There are a few fragments, as they're called, the census fragments that uh, have survived here and there. But all of the others were lost. The thing is, though, that not all of them were lost in that fire. Some of them had already been lost or destroyed, probably on government orders. We don't know why, but they had gone anyway. So again, not everything was there anyway, in terms of the census records. Right. So we don't have the advantage of kind of going back every 10 years, uh, which I know is why you've pulled together a wonderful collection of records here in the article. Um, but before we kind of jump into those, you call them the Magnificent Seven Records, which I'm excited to hear about. Help us kind of prep for this research. What are some of the pitfalls in Irish research that we just need to be aware of going into it? Probably the most important thing for any researcher to do is find out about where their ancestor came from. And they need to do that in the US or wherever their immigrant turned up. And they've got to look in, in American records for the name of the townland. You know, it's all very well to say, oh, Irish records are terrible. But actually, I kind of blame the American records for not including the details of the townlands properly, because if they had done it, it would make it so much easier. You have to know where your family was from in Ireland in order to know where to look for them in the Irish records. And especially because they tend to have such repetitive names, you know, John Sullivan, Patrick Sullivan, John Sullivan, Patrick, and so on. Um, <laughs> you, you can't do that, just stick a pin in Ireland and say, well, they could have been anywhere. You have to know where they came from. But there are enormous number of records in, in America where you might find that little bit of that, well, the nugget, really, of gold. Amazing um, that they kept those people all straight. I often wonder when I look at those records, how did you all know who you were? <laughs> <laughs> in referring to each other. And you make a great point that information can be in, in American records. And in fact, I can attest to that because I finally figured that out this last year for my Scully family. But it takes some digging because it may not be in the most often used records. And we have to look at a lot of different types to find the one where they etched in that name of the town line, huh? Uh, naturalization records are one of the best. Um, at least, if nothing else, you should be able to narrow it down to a county in a lot of cases. And from there, that, well, at least that reduces the area of Ireland that you've got to look at. Other things are uh, draft records, headstones and obituaries, especially. They can be wonderful. The, these are the published ones in newspapers. They're excellent for such details. 
Yes, I agree. In fact, I noticed that when I was looking in a particular area in Wisconsin, I found an obituary that mentioned the townland, but then there were some adjoining articles, their activities at the local church. And at some point they mentioned also that these folks were from this area. So you never know, do you? <laughs> Lovely. So we're going to get started on our Irish research. Hopefully we've done some digging in the U.S. We have found where they are from in Ireland. Um, what do we do first? don't have any um, particular connections with people, you know, um, descendants of your ancestors in Ireland. I would say the first place to start would be Griffith's valuation. This is a, a land and property survey that was carried out in the, in the 1848 to 1864 period. So it's post-famine for the most part. And this was a tax survey, so it wasn't done for genealogical reasons, obviously, and it's not a complete census, but it is the best census stub- substitute that there is because it names all the head of households and who they were renting their land from. And the beauty of them is that you can then go forward in time which normally is against genealogical rules, of course, but it, it's the easiest way to do it if you're starting in the middle there, um, through revision books, because those details were updated whenever the land was sold or significantly in boundaries altered or something like that. And they're right up to today. Wow, that's terrific. So a person doesn't have to own property to be in the tax books. They could be, and I imagine many of them were renters. Yes, yes, they could have been really quite poor um, tenant farmers, uh, they wouldn't even have thought of themselves as farmers. They were labourers on the the local big chief's land, estate. You know, we talk about the Irish famine and that kind of middle of the 19th century, 1848, 1864 timeframe. A lot of us had folks who came over during that time. So that's what you mean by kind of starting in the middle, but then kind of coming forward. Tell us a little bit more about these revision books, because I think many people have have heard Griffith's valuation, but then the revision books, not so much. Because this was a tax um, collecting exercise, um, you know, the governments are generally pretty good at collecting money from people. So they they kept their details up. The, the, the boundaries of each part of piece of land in the townlands had already been set up in that period by Griffith's valuation. And so if there was any alteration or if they wanted to build a house or if they wanted to knock down a house or something like that, that might affect the value of that strip of land that somebody owned, then it had to be recorded. And so if, for example, you had um, John Sullivan and then his son is going to take over when John dies, John Sullivan's name would be removed because he's no longer responsible after his death for the tax, but his son's name would be put in. And so would the date that that happened. So there's lots and lots of clues in these things as to what people were doing. Sometimes it even will say emigrated. And that would be wonderful. That would be just another confirmation that we might be looking at a family that's our family who did indeed emigrate. It seems like with Irish research, even more so than other areas, it's really all these different pieces coming together as a puzzle to, to confirm an identity because the names are so common. Is that true? It is. You've got to hold an awful lot of information in your head usually. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't find I can do genealogy just picking up everything, um, you know, every couple of months or something like that because you have to completely absorb, you, you know, dive in and 
be taken over by it almost to keep it all in your head of who it is you're looking for and all those little things that you've seen read in a document and not realized perhaps how important it could be so it is it is very much detective work i think most genealogy is but uh, very very much so with irish you have to keep collecting the clues and you don't know which ones are important and which ones are not Yes, I think I started using an Excel spreadsheet on my Scully family because because I had many different, this could be them or this could not. And so you have to get through all of it before it kind of gels together. So we started with the Griffiths primary evaluation. And in your article, you said this is at askaboutireland.ie. They have Griffiths evaluation. Is that right? Yes, they do. It's all online. Um, unfortunately, that particular site has uh, is not being very well maintained at the moment. I believe it's going to be completely rehauled. Um, but this has been a promise for about three years. So some people might find when they go to look at it that it's just not working at the moment. Um, but it isn't the only site that has it. There are uh, Find My Past does have um, most of Griffiths, I think, and lots of the maps and so on. Uh, personally, though. I prefer Ask About Ireland. It's just, I find it easier to use, but that may just be familiarity and it's free. Which we we very much appreciate. (laughs) We do, don't we? (laughs) So we have, you know, the magnificent seven records here. We've talked about Griffiths, which is number four on the list. What are some of your other favorites in terms of the records we should keep our eyes out for? I think that graveyards and headstones are probably one of the more recent successes, if you like, of, of collections of records to come available to, to people because local chari- uh, communities, local community groups and such like have been surveying these kind of these old burial grounds, clearing them so that the stones are uh, can be seen. And then they build up a whole story about them. One of the best sites for that, actually, people would understand what I'm talking about if they saw it looked at historicgraves.ie. That's wonderful. Um, all the headstones are in, are transcribed. There's photographs of them. And then they also put up stories about some of the people and people's memories go in there as well, which is very, very useful sometimes. Um, there are also the burial records themselves for not, I'm not talking here about church records or civil records. These are the actual burial records, sometimes funeral records. And these are going online. The only problem with this group is that there's an awful lot of them and they're not in one place, uh, which is why just recently I published a page on my website, irishgenealogytoolkit.com, and made a list of where all of these collections are. And most of them are free. There's only a few that are not. Wow, that's fantastic. So it's irish-genealogy-toolkit.com? Excellent. Okay. So, so it really sounds like it's a, it's a grassroots kind of effort. It's volunteers putting this kind of information together. Are they doing it by certain jurisdictions? Is it by townland, by county? Uh, usually by parish. That, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, some of them that are where they're the burial records, particularly because those might now be in the care of uh, the local councils, then it might be um, a slightly wider area than just one parish. But generally speaking, they're done by parish. Well, everybody can get the full list of seven in the article. Claire, before I let you go, I'd love to get your advice. You know, many of us, when we've been in genealogy a while, somebody will come along and they're going to start and they'll say, you know, what do you wish you had done differently when you first started genealogy? 
Um, what kinds of things do people wish they had done differently when they get into Irish genealogy? What kind of um, tips would you have for them to be more successful from the beginning? I would say once they've found an area where they believe their ancestors are from, or they know for certain, to really learn about that place. I don't mean about that town or something like that. I mean, on a, on a slightly wider area to absorb maps as if they've gone mad and really get to know what's next door to this place. You know, what's the neighbouring townland to, to that place? Because all of these boundaries moved around quite a lot. And sometimes you'd be surprised how often that can trip you up. For example, um, a priest might think, oh, yes, I know where they live. They live such and such a place. And but they don't. In fact, they live next door, but they live near the border of it. And so it's been recorded incorrectly. If you know that land very well, not just where the boundaries are, but lots and lots of other information about a place really helps you to feel that you understand where your ancestors lived. And I, I find that as somebody who's really into the landscape, really heartwarming. You know, it, it's, it's one of those gooey feelings I get. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of really at the very, very beginning, I would say just record as much as you can. I didn't always write down everything that I found or where I found it. And that has to be a real no-no. Well, that's great advice. So it sounds like uh, the things that trip us up generally in genealogy might get you also in Irish genealogy, which is that source citation tracking what you're finding so that you can go back and find it. I know for me in my own Irish research, it's it's been years in the making. So like you pick it up, you put it down, you pick it up and you need that trail, don't you? And you have to know where you found things because exactly. sometimes you think I might need to check that. <laughs> Maybe I should look at that again. And if you don't know where you got it from, then it's worthless. Well, Claire, thank you so much for giving us some insight into our Irish research. Again, Claire's article is called Luck of the Irish, and it is in the March and April 2021 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Claire Santry, thank you so much for visiting with us here on the podcast. Very much, Lisa, and have a happy St. Patrick's Day. Well, here in our best website segment, we are going to be talking about irishgenealogy.ie. It's really the uh, go-to website for Irish genealogy. And here to tell us more about it is Tyg O'Shea. Welcome to the show, Tyg. Thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Well, your website is really one of the, the mainstays of doing Irish research, but I know we'll have some people listening who've never visited before. So give us kind of an overview. What can we expect over at Irish Genealogy? Okay, I suppose a it's the idea of it behind it is, is that it gives people, I suppose, a broad idea I suppose, of the different records, how to do their research. And we also provide access to two specific kind of sources. One is the civil records of births, marriages and deaths. So the historic ones from the, the beginning of when they started being collected to, you know, a certain date just for data protection reasons. And then we also have church records from some counties. They, oh, the website also offers you an opportunity to jump in and see uh, via a portal other websites that exist. So that the 1901 and 1911 census are probably two very important records sources in Ireland. And they, you can see those kind of ones, even Ellis Island records. You know, you can you can link onto those websites via irishgenealogy.ie. 
And so, as I said, it, it gives you an overview as well of the different record sources, how to maybe start your research, where to look, you know, and what the different record sources mean, you know, or, you know, what they'll give you as well in terms of when you're looking for information. So how did this all get started? Because it's a big job to try to help people find Irish ancestry. And like you said, there's so many different records and websites. How did it all begin? Um, the website itself began, there was a company uh, that was there to promote Irish genealogy as, uh, and it was a kind of a, to promote Roots Tourism uh, initiative really dating back to the mid 1980s and the early 1990s. And then the website came along a bit later. That company was wound up um, in the, around 2008, 2009. And our department, which is the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, they are responsible, were responsible for funding the company and they took over, we took over the website essentially. And so we kind of looked at it and said, you know, we'll keep it and we'll rebrand, rebrand it a little bit and start to add stuff as if we, if we can get a hold of it or if we have it. And the policy of government in Ireland is that try and make as much of the record sources available to help people find their ancestry. If you're in America or Australia or wherever, you might come come back to Ireland as well to see the place where your ancestors came from. And again, even for Irish people as well, just to be able to access their own uh, family history as well. I know that tourism is probably a really big deal when it comes to ancestry. People want to come over. But I know for myself, when I went to Ireland the first time, I was like, I was so frustrated because I, I hadn't gotten as far as I wanted to get so that I would know where to look. And I was only there for a couple of days. So for somebody who might be thinking about making the trip over or just wants to be able to do the research from home, how do you recommend that they kind of first approach the website? You have a lot to offer. So where should they start? I suppose the, the first thing, you know, is to, for themselves to know as much for themselves, you know, first of all, to, to, to get the information that they would have either themselves or maybe parents, grandparents or something that they might glean from and sort of, you know, some basic information about, you know, the people they're looking for, potential dates. And it, it really does vary, I suppose, you know, when, you, when you're starting your search, you know, from like some people who would have emigrated to the United States, it could be 200 years ago. For some people, it might have been 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it all, it all depends, I suppose, as well on that kind of information that you already know holds as well about, you know, your ancestors and when they might've come over. Um, the 1901 and 1911 census, as I said, is a, is a very good way to jump in. If you're unsure about, you know, if you just know that there was people there in Ireland at that time period and you know roughly where they lived or whatever, it's a good way of finding families and, you know, seeing the information about ages and the household and where they were living and stuff. And that can be a help. Our own website is that we have the civil records. So you have the birth records from 1864. They go all the way to 1920. You have the records of marriage from 1845, and they go up to 1945. And you have the records of death again from 1864, and they go up as far as 1970. So that's, you know, a huge amount of people born, married, or died, you know, on the island of Ireland. And so that is a help. As I said, we have church records from some counties and then there are other websites as well, like the National Library, which would have the Roman Catholic church records dating back to uh, maybe the late 1700s up to the you know, 1900s. So, they, you know, they cover a large area of where you might be looking for and, you know, who you might be looking for. There's no one size fit all, as you probably know yourself. It really does depend on the person. But if you could start to say, 
I know that my people were living in Ireland maybe late 1900s, then our records on Irish genealogy, uh, the census records and stuff like that would be a great place to, to you know, to start, uh, you know, looking and uh, seeing like, you know, then uh, are my people there and then tracing back using those sources from that. Exactly. Well, and it sounds like with, as with all genealogy, uh, we have to take that breath and kind of stop and really comb through everything that we have ourselves. Mm -hmm. And also I would think for those of us in America, uh, we want to gather as much on this side of the pond as, as we can get all the records here, because we often hear that, of course, it really helps if we know what town the, the folks came from. Is that absolutely key? Do we have to know the townland? Um, it depends, you know, if you, you know, it depends on, I suppose, the certain surnames could be very common. And, you know, a lot of people had the same surname and forenames. So, you know, unfortunately, the, there is always that element of you could run into that where you'll find several people of the same name, same, same generation, all in the same area. So there, that can be, I suppose, a little bit of a disincentive sometimes for people. But, you know, at least, you know, you'd have tracked them down probably to the right neck of the woods, you know, that's all I could say in that regard. But if you do know the townland, that, that's brilliant. That's going to be a huge, you know, bonus in, in your research. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it would certainly be a help. You know, I noticed you have, when you get to the homepage, we see church records, we see civil records, there's research help and useful links. Is there a fee for using the website for all or part of it? No, it's all completely free. There's no registration, nothing like that. The only aspect we is in the civil records, you just asked maybe to, to complete a CAPTCHA, you know, uh, just a Google security mechanism. There's nothing at all. There's no registration, no fees, nothing like that at all. It's all completely free. Wow, that's fantastic. And are you guys still adding to the website or is what we see here, what's going to be there for the, the long term? Uh, well, the civil records, as I said earlier, um, because of data protection, you know, we we um, withhold the births that are less than 100 years old. So every year when the 100 years, another year will be added in the same with marriages and the same with debts. Um, that's one aspect. General Register Office, which was responsible for compiling all the civil records, they have some small record sets that we are currently um, getting digitized at the moment. So they'll be include World War I debts, um, debts from Boer War, Irish people who would have died or been born or married abroad, especially when Ireland was under British rule. And there's other, a few other minor uh, registers as well. There's one or two um, historical marriage record, uh, marriage registers. They were kind of illegal. Uh, it's hard to describe, but it was like there was a certain kind of, um, you would have once upon a time have to kind of declare to the church, whether you're Protestant, Catholic, whatever, you'd have to sort of tell the clergy who might read out that you were going to get married in three months' time. And sometimes people, when they wanted to elope, they went to these kind of, um, these illegal kind of marriages. So we've one register of that as well coming up as well. So that's an intriguing one as well from, um, I think they're from the early 1800s. And so just, just some of those interesting records coming along. Hopefully we'll be adding them in a few months time. Any last minute kind of tips or uh, strategies or a favorite area of the website that you have that you'd like to share with the listeners? We also added, it's a few years ago now, it was, a, it, it, it was designed for, um, school students, maybe, you know, equivalent of kind of um, younger high school students in America, that 
age group and it was how to carry out genealogy research on Irish records. So that's on the website. It's called uh, Family History 1916. It's on the, it's kind of the last tab you'll see on top of the screen. Yes. So that has actually some very useful um, videos and tips and, it, you know, it, it runs through some scenarios based on some, you know, real life people. You know, one uh, was the former prime minister of Ireland and, you know, the history of his family. And another one is just a nor- one person pulled out of the records and just taken back then, you know, through the records where different ancestors pop up and how you would use that information. And as I said, you know, the research, you know, if you ever look at the research, you know, how to carry out the research, it, it gives them just useful little tips just to think about and, you know, how to get going in that area. Because sometimes it can be a bit daunting, right? You know, certainly if, if you're not too sure, and maybe you, in past, you know, when conversations came up about former great aunties or uncles or something, that, and you, you know, you went through, you didn't think about it, then, you know, suddenly now you want to start to remember all this. It can be a bit difficult, but, you know, the records are there. As I said, if you're in America, trace back to when the people arrived, you know, and there can be other, other source material as well, like old newspapers and something like that, you know, that maybe at some stage somebody wrote and said, you know, I'm looking for someone who moved to some part of America, you know, to make contact with them. These sort of things, you know, there's always little nuggets out there. So, you know, just persevere as well if you're not if you think you're coming up against a brick wall well i can certainly attest to that i know i've been working on my irish brick wall for decades <laughs> if i should say and it's just been recently with websites like yours where all of a sudden i'm back in the right county then i got to the right town then i got the family and it was interesting to see how finally making those connections and i really had to understand how the records worked, what was available, how all of these sources kind of come together to build a picture. And that even brought me back here to America to find even more now that I had more information. So we so appreciate the irishgenealogy.ie website. And Tyke, thank you so much for giving us a nice overview and re-inspiring us to go try and find our Irish ancestors. Thank you. No problem. You're more than welcome. This month's DNA Deconstructed segment is all about ethnicity estimates. And of course, here to answer your questions about them is your DNA guide, Diane Southard. Welcome back, Diane. Thanks, Lisa. It's nice to be here. Great having you here because we're going to go, I think, kind of back to basics. And I think we should probably start at the most basic, which is when it comes to DNA testing, what are ethnicity estimates? Right. Great question. And I love to go back to the basics. I think it's so, so important. So I'm so glad that we're doing that today. So ethnicity estimates are one of two kinds of result you get from your DNA test. So when you take that DNA test, no matter which company you test with, they're going to give you a list of people that match you, your DNA cousins. That's one part of your test result. And the next part are these ethnicity estimates. It's this pretty map with all the percentages and it tells you you're 32% Irish or 71% British or whatever it is. So that's like at the basic level, it's one of two kinds of results you get when you take a DNA test. Great. So you get your results back, you see these ethnicity estimates, what can you do with them? Great question. So it used to be like years ago, and I say years ago, like it was forever, but okay, 2007, (laughs) not that long ago, uh, 2007, when these tests first came on the market, you could tell if you were European, 
or Asian or African. And that was it. And there really wasn't much you could do. In fact, for several years after these estimates first came out, and maybe if you've, you've been watching me speak for a long time, you may have even heard me say this. I would tell people, these are coffee table pieces. They're pretty images that you can lay out on your coffee table and say, oh, isn't this pretty? But there really wasn't much you could do with them. But thankfully that has totally changed. <laughs> All of the work that our testing companies have put into their uh, research, their development of these products has completely changed what you can do with your ethnicity results. And now they actually hold most of the time something meaningful, maybe even something insightful about your family history. So if we want to get the best results, then we might be asking the question, okay, so is there one company that has the best ethnicity results? Is there? Well, that's a great question. And again, it really comes back to what is it that you want to know? So at three of our companies, 23andMe, Ancestry DNA, and MyHeritage DNA, in their ethnicity results section, they actually have two different kinds of results that they hand you. So they hand you these big percentages that represent large general populations like Irish or Italian. And those estimates refer to heritage you may have recently, but it could easily be a place that your ancestors haven't been for like four or five or 6,000 years. Okay, so big general locations that could go back a lot farther in time. And all of our companies give you these. But these three companies give you an additional part of your ethnicity results that are so impactful and helpful and hopefully insightful into your heritage. So at each company, they call them something different, but essentially they are recent ancestral groups. They are locations, or in some cases, even migration patterns that your DNA is revealing about your ancestors. And here's the best part. They reveal this information about your ancestors within the last 200 years. So that's like what I call your genealogical sweet spot, right? We're all looking in that generation range for someone usually. And so these ethnicity results can point us in the right direction. Great. So what are some of these communities? I know we're hearing about communities at Ancestry, at MyHeritage, and, and how are they going to, to uh, help us out? Right. So for example, my mom's family is from this little tiny region of the world. They're, um, they're called Black Sea Russians sometimes. Um, sometimes they're called German-speaking Russians. But essentially, it's this group of people who were German. And then for like two, maybe three generations, they immigrated to this little section of Russia called Odessa, Russia, which is on the Black Sea. And then instead of joining the military, like the Russian government was trying to force them to do, basically the whole group of them picked up and moved to North Dakota. Okay, so we have this migration path of this small group of people that moved from Germany to Russia to North Dakota. That is 100% reflected in my DNA test results at both Ancestry and MyHeritage. It is phenomenal to see that, that migration that my DNA is telling me about. So essentially, if I didn't know that about my family, which by the way, we didn't know about my family, my mom was adopted. So if this oh, technology wow. had been around back when we were looking for her information, we would not have known any of this. Of course, by the time it came out, we had already learned it, but that doesn't matter. What matters is if you have these communities or these groups, these, these migration groups in your DNA, they are very accurate 
And if you're missing an ancestor, you don't know who your two times great grandfather was, but you have this migration in your DNA that says that you've got people coming from the Spire Odessa region near the Black Sea who moved to North Dakota, then you need to be looking for an ancestor who did that. That person is in your family tree. Exactly. It's, it's almost like that beautiful needle in a haystack. And it just shows you something that wasn't visible before. And like you said, if you can see it in two different companies, wow, that's a great confirmation, just more evidence towards where to look and where the family is from. Well, yeah, everybody who's listening, if they want to learn more about uh, ethnicity estimates, I'll have a link in the show notes to Diane's article. It's the Q&A article for DNA, all about ethnicity estimates. And of course, you can always go check out Diane at her website, yourdnaguide.com. Thanks so much. Always good to talk to you. We'll talk to you next month. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here in this episode today um, when it comes to Irish genealogy. But before we wrap it up, let's head over to the editor's desk where Courtney Henderson, the digital editor at Family Tree Magazine, is waiting for us. And she has another Irish genealogy resource for our toolkit. Welcome back to the show, Courtney. Hi, Lisa. So over at the uh, magazine website, familytreemagazine.com, you kind of have a a landing page, a place for us to start, don't you, for Irish genealogy? Yes, I just built this a little while ago. And it's basically, I like to think of it as one-stop shopping for researching your Irish ancestors. So I look through all of our content. I don't know if our listeners know, but our website has been around a really long time and we have a lot of content. So part of my job is to organize it for uh, visitors to our site so that they can find what they're looking for, help with brick walls, help with certain records. And so for uh, our Irish researchers, I've taken all the content I can find that we have and just tried to present it in a clean, organized easy to use way. You're right. You guys have a ton of content. I mean, my goodness, I I know I've been writing um, for the magazine off and on for the last, I don't know, dozen years or more. And you guys were certainly around longer than that. And there's so much great stuff here, but I love how you organized it. So I see key dates in history, which is really the place to start, isn't it? You got to have the context around the area where you're researching. Yes, absolutely. And I try to repeat this for all of our heritage pages, which are still very much a work in progress, some of them, but researchers have to know when things were happening because these are things that affected our ancestors directly. Um, So it helps to find, you know, when, for example, you know, when the Great Famine began, did your ancestors immigrate to, to North America? I mean, you just kind of have to have a good idea of a history timeline. Mm-hmm. And I see you've got vital records that were kept, which of course is key and best records for genealogists. You know, I was just talking with Ty over at the irishgenealogy.ie website, and they have free access to many of these kinds of records, but you've got a, a nice list here as well. And then going down below, you've got articles, right? That people can tap into. Right. So then we just sort of subcategorize things um, based on the type of content it is. So I started out with just some good general articles about finding your Irish ancestors. And these, there's a genealogy Q&A about researching Irish ancestors. And I would really encourage listeners to look for those genealogy Q&As. We have them across all different kinds of topics, but it's where people have written in 
to our experts and our experts have responded. So it's really nice to kind of just see those case studies or you may be able to overcome a really tough brick wall just by reading through some of those. And I love this. You've got uh, 11 best websites for researching Irish ancestors and um, photo websites. Uh, I love the Q&A. And I see there's a free Irish poor law union map they can download. Yeah, we have so many free resources. And I try to group them on the appropriate pages so people can find them. And, um, you know, this um, poor law union map is great. Uh, You can kind of read about the history and why those were created. And then it helps to then compare to where your ancestors were, which can then, of course, lead to finding more records. Excellent. Well, gosh, we all appreciate that you've got it kind of all organized in one spot. This is the perfect landing page to start with over at familytreemagazine.com. So I will have a link to familytreemagazine.com slash Irish dash heritage on the show notes page. And I encourage everybody listening, go sign up for the free newsletter, because that's the way you're going to stay abreast of all the new stuff that comes. And right at the bottom of that page, there's a link that you can click family tree newsletters. So get signed up for those. Wonderful. Well, I'll let you go back at it. Thank you so much, Courtney, for stopping by the show. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for joining me for this March 2021 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Now, if you're listening to the show through a podcast app like Apple or Google Podcasts, will you do us a big favor and leave us a five-star review? You know, your reviews really help us get found by other genealogists. And we'd love to have more folks join us here. So we really do appreciate the important role that you play in that. Thank you. And as always, I'll have links on the show notes page to everything that we talked about today. You will find our show notes for this March 2021 episode at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and you can visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, which of course is the home of the Genealogy Gems podcast. And join me each week at the Genealogy Gems YouTube channel for my weekly show, Elevenses with Lisa. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 